everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind, where we're doing a special episode this week. Not doing so much the chronological that we've been working on. We should be heading into 1994, but the seasons, kid. It's seasonal holiday and we all get super busy. So this episode's going to be kind of an old school one where we would pick a theme and uh, we do movies around that theme. And what is the theme this episode, John? This is uh, people hunting people, or at least something hunting people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hunting men for sport, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course, it's it's based off the classic tale, uh, The Most Dangerous Game, which all of a sudden I've seen a surge in again. Like, I've been seeing a lot of direct-to-video, and there was one on that. What was that? Was it called Quibi? Where it was like five-minute short movies that they would... They turned, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that horrible failed experiment. They pieced all those together into a movie recently with Liam Hemsworth and... Uh, What's the guy from Django Unchained and uh, Inglorious Bastards? The oh, uh, German oh. guy? Why can't I think of his name? Christopher... Uh, I, like the, I like the actor. Oh, Christoph Waltz. Thank you. Yeah, so yes. they did that, and there's a, a new one from uh, with Casper Van Dien, and, and, and the most recent one, of course, was The Hunt. And I'm going to do something unusual here. Let's work our way backwards. <laughs> Instead of... Because oh, nice. usually we go chronologically you know, forward, but... Um, the Predator is probably the most recent. Yeah, it is the most recent one. That was just a few months ago. And uh, wait, what, what is it called? It's not called the Predator. It's called um, Prey. the Prey. Sorry, Prey. Which I'm kind of surprised they didn't just call it Predator semicolon whatever Prey. Predator slash Prey. Yeah, I just I mean, it's a known franchise, but I guess with social media, you really don't need to tell people it's a Predator sequel because everybody else will do it for you. Well, it's it being that it's also a prequel, it has it manages to actually stand on its own and yet deliver everything that you would want in a sequel effectively. Yeah. Do you think the movie would feel different if you had not seen any of the other movies? No, no. Uh because and this is my problem with Prey. Uh, I will say this. I, I'm unsure. After I, when I saw when it came when it hit, I you know saw it not too long ago. I really don't know if this is my favorite entry in the franchise or not. If it isn't my favorite, it's definitely second. You know, behind the first film. Yeah. Well, for me, but, I think it's interesting is because if you know the rules, there's some expectations that come with what's next. If you don't know anything about the franchise, I wonder if it's more surprising for you uh, uh, each little step. Well, that's the thing is they do a good job of instead of like in the original film where, you know, frame one is basically it's an alien. <laughs> You're not if you if you cut that section that those like two minutes or, you know, 30 seconds or whatever it is from the film, it, the reveal becomes a hell of a lot more surprising. Yeah, I was I was so, thinking that because I watched uh, from dusk till dawn and you have no fucking clue if you haven't seen the trailers what's going to happen halfway through the movie and i kind of wish they hadn't shown the spaceship in predator so that halfway through the movie you're like what the hell is happening yeah and that's and they, they do a better job of hiding that it's uh, the predator except for the big you know the moment where you you get that uh, wolf scene and that's the, the my problem is i think that's the that scene should have been cut i understand what it's there for I get that it's supposed to show you that the predator is hunt, you know, is hunting its prey, and going weapon by, you know, uh, 
the it's using the its own skills based on what it's hunting. Mm-hmm. So instead of you know shooting this wolf, you know things, it's using its blades, but it's crouching down. It's getting on its level. So it's like I understand what that scene's supposed to give you. I don't think it's successful, and I think it reveals way too much too early because the bear scene. Imagine seeing that scene. And that's the first time you actually get to see the predator. Yeah. And that becomes, holy shit! <laughs> you know, moment. And, yeah, you don't really get that. And, you know, like I said, I think that's the only flaw in that film is that one sequence. Yeah, I like all the Predator movies. I know that last one that Shane Black did was fucked with by the studio heavily. And I don't blame him. I don't know what the original ending was. Um, but... I, I do think it's nice to back away from this, the heavy special effects and gadgets and gizmo and, you know, modern times where, you know, they, they stripped it of a lot of what had been building up in the franchise. Well, that's just it. It's like, it's very much like the first film where it's pretty much people being hunted by something that they don't understand. And it, it's their own ingenuity that wins. Yeah, the uh, yeah, I think it's a really fantastic film. I, I still the people's argument that hey, you should have released this in theaters. Well, if you look, there's never been a financially successful Predator movie besides the first one in America. It just hasn't been internationally. In video is where all the money has been made. And that's why they continue with this franchise. It makes sense for it to be on Hulu, but at some point, I really do hope they put this out on on some sort of like home video, whatever format. Yeah, I would like to actually have a physical copy of this as opposed to it being at the whim of Disney. Yeah. <laughs> the um the uh the whole people bitching about how it's woke and stuff like that. I mean, god damn it, just stop it already. Um but also like, oh, she couldn't have beat him. You know, she's not even a skilled fighter. She had no weapons. He wiped out, you know, whatever. And I'm like, did you not pay attention to the movie at all? I mean, if you're honest about the movie, her brother does a lot of the damage. Yeah, she's She's smart, and that's the thing that how she wins out is she's figuring out how to beat this thing that she knows that she can't fight, you know, you know, hand-to-hand. Right. She has to use every single trick that she can think of, which includes, okay, I'm going to lure it into this thing. Oh, the, that weird light that comes out of that, uh, out of that weird helmet. Well, that thing apparently shoots arrows or controls the arrows so it's like what do i do okay you know piecing these the the pieces of this puzzle together knowing that you can't win in a stand-up fight you have to use deception you have to use every single thing that you know right which does call back to the first movie that's what Schwarzenegger did he could not beat him on a physical level he had to beat him on a strategic level yeah and that's and that's the thing i pretty sure that these people you know who you know quote unquote oh this film's woke don't understand it's just girl can't do things yeah well I also I also believe that most of these people didn't even watch the damn movie oh no no of course not well I'm sure they saw that the main character was female and then they were like well I'm fucking done with that well those that did had a hard time whining about it so they really had to uh, find things to complain about to make it woke 
Yeah. Because I do, I do remember uh, some people posting stuff like, look at this Yahoo trying to, you know, fight against a film that he very obviously liked yeah. and can't, can't uh, work with it because, again, girls do, do no fool. It's a, it's a very beautiful, well-made movie, too. I mean, it's the best looking of the entire franchise. Yeah, but that's also... Kind of like with the first film, they went to real practical locations and used the environment in its, you know, in the best way they could. Yeah. And the fact that they're, you know, it's, it's 1700s and it's not, you know, not using war as a backdrop. You, get, you can get away with having these beautiful vistas and these beautiful, all these beautiful shots that you really couldn't do in the first film. Yeah, and I, I have a hard time believing this was a $60 million movie. I think that some people were saying it was so that when, you know, maybe it didn't get the numbers that it was supposed to on Hulu, they go, look, it's a flop, it's woke, go woke, go broke. And I, I'm looking maybe 40 at, at best. If Predators, the one with uh, Adrian Brody, cost $40 million, I can't imagine this cost more than that. Well, yeah, yeah, it's definitely, they did, the since all the actors are basically unknowns. Yeah, uh, well, and in practical locations, practical uh, effects for the most part. Yeah, it's like, you're not going to sink a ton of money into that stuff, so it would all go to your effects budgets and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that it was successful enough that they can continue. Like, I would love to see Predator in other times, like the Old West. I mean, like, you know, against cowboys or whatever. And like, uh, oh, go back to the caveman time, centennial, sword and sorcery, you know? <laughs> I don't know, I just want to see Predator versus Bear again. Uh, Predator versus Nazis? Yes, you definitely, well, no, because I don't want the Nazis to win. I want it to just be... Oh, you know, fuck, you're right. Slaughterhouse. It has to be a slaughterhouse of a film, then. You know, you want the Predator to win the entire time, and... As much as yes, that would be fun to see him tear the shit out of them. Ultimately, you want the you know you quote unquote want the humans to win, and that would mean making Nazis win. And I I can't abide by that. What if what if it was like a World War Two front where it's it's American soldiers and Nazis or whatever, like the Keep. Okay, or yeah, or something like Overlord. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that is it for that film. Uh, now the next film is another one which got a lot of controversy for the fucking stupidest reasons. <laughs> People bitched about The Hunt before it ever came out because they heard what it was about. They didn't know what it was about. They didn't watch the movie. And and not only did the COVID shutdowns kill this film, it's their fucking bullshit. Because remember it got pushed back by, what, five, six months? Something like that, yeah. And they said, oh, it's about you know the liberals hunting MAGA. And I was like on the top levels you know like that's the skin of the fruit you know <laughs> so it's not the whole thing and it's about how both sides are kind of fucked up in certain ways and you got this sociopath in the middle who doesn't give a shit and she'll fuck you up all she cares about is surviving well it's like and at the end of the day it's the people who are really really angry about this sit there and go like you do realize that if the liberals are the bad guys hunting people then that means MAGA are the heroes and will kill the liberals you do you do realize this right if you've seen you've seen a movie before <laughs> <laughs> what are you bitching about yeah bad guys yeah, bad rarely crazy. tend to win but but it does a really good balance of, there is no good guy in this really no 
No, no, they're everybody is basically shit. And part of my, I really honestly think that this film, I might have liked this film more if they had actually dropped the political angle. Now. This isn't because, oh, they hurt my fee-fees. Why are the liberals bad? None of, none of that horseshit. I can give a fuck, you know? It's, the problem is this film came out, it's a satire, and satire is dead. Reality is far more ridiculous than anything they can put on film. Yeah. So, to do this would... <sighs> I genuinely just think that uh, what is uh, Lindelof and, and Cuse they just wanted a film that would piss off conservatives like basically like it's res- being a response to say God's not dead you know where all the liberals and atheists are fucking monsters and how dare you you know try to hurt the, Christ- the poor <laughs> you know, Christians who seem to run everything in this fucking country uh, but you know, everything about this just kind of screams more so, I just want to make someone mad. You know, we'll, we'll dress it up as satire, but we understand what we're doing because we're putting out this film and Donald Trump's the president and the ridiculous you know, circus of life is rolling. We'll just drum up controversy and you know that will and that, that will drive the sales for <laughs> yeah, money. It, it, they can basically make money <laughs> off of the outrage machine. Yeah, it would have been nice because there's nothing really to say class-wise between rich and the poor because they've already done this twice in the two next movies we're going to talk about. So there's nothing new to say there with that. I had an idea years ago. Um, about rich people uh, faking a competition reality show just to bring people to this island. You know, it was like during the height of like Survivor, and it turns out they were just hunting them not only for the gambling part, but also for like, oh, they're also cannibals. You know, after they get done killing them, they cook them up and eat them, whatever. Like the absolute excess of rich delicacy, whatever. But then Wrong Turn 2 came out, The Condemned came out, and I realized there's nothing fresh to say, so... Well, well, heck, part of it is getting people together for a, uh, you know, uh, survivor slash, you know, well, Big Brother in this case was My Little Lie, where it was, oh, these people signed up for a Big Brother thing that's on the internet. Oh, and it turns out that on the last day, killers come in and murder them all because it's actually a big snuff site. I've never heard of this. What is this called? My Little Eye? My Little Eye. I gotta look this up. Dude, it is amazing. It came foreign? Out like is it foreign 2000? or American? Uh, it's like British, I think. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, I it it's been a while since so I've seen it, but I do remember that that payoff that you get like, oh, not, wow, okay, and especially because they shot it like it was, you know, in Big Brother, you know, kind of weird camera angle style. Yeah, and I like I like that this is one of those movies where you can't figure out who the star is for quite a while. You keep thinking, like, that's where it pulls you the rug out from under you. It's like, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, you're with this person for five minutes. Oop, their head got blown off. Oop. You know, it keeps switching, and they spend a little bit more time with each character because you think, okay, now we're settling. Nope, they're dead, too. And I, I genuinely wish we knew more about our, our ultimate heroine. Yeah, there is. I feel like they were trying to just set this up as a tease towards the next movie. I like the way they would pitch black. You know, like where they would just kind of tease who Riddick was, 
but not really giving you a whole lot. He was a mystery, and then like slowly revealing over the franchise. Yeah, it's like it, there's there's more. I would like, like definitely would have liked to have had a little more to her backstory beyond just like I think we get two hints about it, and that's it. Yeah, I really like the showdown between her and um, Hillary Swank. Oh yeah, that is the best part of the entire film. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, I, other than that, I do think it was one of these movies where hype was bigger than what it could provide. I mean, if, if it hadn't got so much buzz from controversy, I really think that it would just kind of like a throwaway, just, ah, it's a good Saturday night kind of like one-time watch movie. Yeah. Like I said, I, that's, that's why I think, I think it was just, I, I really feel it was cynically made because of outreach machine yeah well in Blumhouse they need that they need some sort of controversy because most of the stuff they have you know is kind of lower budget so they really can't put the big names and big action sequences this might be one of their biggest movies though I, this looks like it's about a 20 million dollar movie but they tend to do movies like 5 million and under yeah keep it keep it small keep it cheap yeah I mean look at what they do with the Halloween franchise there's lots of controversy there a lot of people hate it I like them but that's just me and I tried watching that first one. Oh, the first one's kind of pointless. I'll say that because H2O is the same exact fucking plot. It is. But the second and third one, they, they do some really interesting things I did not expect. So, But I understand why I pissed off the fans because the fans with horror films sometimes don't want real change. This is true. And then 10 years later, like, this movie is so great. It's so underrated. <laughs> the, um, the next film we're going to discuss is Surviving the Game. This movie came out in the wake of uh, Hard Target. Um, and it kind of got tossed out on the shelf by New Line Cinema with no real hype. And, and I know it's very low budget. I think it was like a $6 million budget. It's got no real big names. I think it's a There's fun no little... no big names. F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> Gary Busey. But, I mean, Ice T is in this. Yeah, Ice Drew T. Dutton. Yeah, Ice <laughs> T is probably the biggest name here, but he was never really... Like, what, he had Trespass in New Jack City before this? And, and he had all his buzz because of the... Uh, you know, his rap career. Um, yeah. But I think they're all really reliable character actors, and they're just ha- fucking having a blast. Uh, it'll say and Gary Busey, and Gary Busey's on the poster. Gary Busey's in it, what, 15 minutes? But he's got a scene in there that's so fucking bananas. I'm sure that's how they sold it to him. It's like, look, you do four days of shooting, you got this crazy monologue, and he's like, yeah, okay. No, apparently that monologue was all uh, was all improvised. What? But apparently, he and uh, oh god, who's our who's our villain? Like Rutger Howard. Yeah. Uh, he basically was just kind of there. He was just he was just supposed. He was actually, I think, supposed to stay in the film a little bit longer. But they, have, I think, something might have shuffled around a little bit. But anyway, he comes in and he doesn't, and he wants to be the star. So he decides that he's just gonna do this bananas uh, off the cuff, you know, you know, speech. To which Rucker Howard is gets pissed off and is just like, "Oh, you motherfucker! You're not gonna out out act me." And apparently, they cut the bit after this. But Rucker Howard is like, "You're full of shit" or something like that. Once you know, once he delivers this insane, you know, thing of backstory for his character, for his character. Yeah, and they just and they just cut that out and just let you sit there and go like. Okay. <laughs> but it's a great fucking scene. And 
Look, and, and, and Gary Busey and well, every actor kind of has their own level that they're going with. And Rutger Hauer should never have gone big. And I kind of like the fact that he's like the low key sinister one that's kind of quiet, just sitting there watching. Um, you know, the master manipulator. So I don't want him to be as big as Gary Busey. So I'm glad it worked out that way. Yeah, yeah. And I was genuinely surprised because I loved this movie when I was like 13 or 14, you know, like around the time it hit. And I didn't realize it was uh, an Ernest Dickerson film. Yeah, the king of like really low budget but quite efficient, entertaining little machines. Yeah, it's like, I mean, like right after this, I think he does Demon Knight, which is kind of where I got, I learned that name. And yeah. I love this, love this guy. He's a hell of a director. Granted, he's mostly doing TV at this point, but still. Yeah, well, he did, he started off with Juice. Um, yeah. Juice, then I want to say this. Then he did, yeah, uh, Demon Knight. I know he did a rollerball ripoff called Future Sport with Wesley Snipes and Dean Kane, which is <laughs> it's shit, but it's highly entertaining shit. He just knew what he was doing. He worked very well with the, the money that he had. I think the last theatrical film he might have had was that DMX movie with David Arquette, like Never Die Alone. I never saw. Some, I never saw. I never saw the one play either. Yeah. yeah, I never saw Bones either. But um, someday I'll get around to him. But it does seem like he did a really good job with a very low budget. Yeah, well, it's like he has one of the masters of horror, you know, uh, Showtime. I'm going to use the word film. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're just, they're just like a 50-minute film, so yeah, I count them. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, the guy knows how to work with what little budget he has and makes things look better than they really should. Yeah. I, like, this film looks really good, and yeah, it's like he it was shot for peanuts. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, first off, he gets to shoot in Canada, I think. So that saves a lot of money. And then he uses all practical effects, no digital trickery, except for that one. I thought it was really cool, that little shot that he takes where he goes inside the gun, which I literally believe is just a painting that he pulls in on <laughs> to show the cigarette in the gun. But yeah. I just, it's funny how the actors are either 100% overacting, like John C. McGinley and F. Murray Abraham are in, in, in battle. Like Once Gary Busey leaves, the rest of them start cranking it up. And then you got Charles S. Dutton and Rudger Hauer, like, cool and confident and just controlling the... I, it's, it's such a great movie for, you know, like, a little efficient film. Yeah, that, that's what he's like. It's a far better film than it has any real right to be. Yeah. I kind of miss the days when New Line Cinema, right before... This is, like, a year and a half or so before they were bought by Warner Brothers, where that's all they did was, like, little tightly budgeted films and not all of them were successful but they had they filled a niche that nobody else was really doing oh definitely and who I... else is going to make who's the man with dr Dre and ed lover <laughs> <laughs> the um, yeah i remember at the time they were talking about oh the mask is our biggest budget movie ever 22 million dollars like holy shit that's the most you've ever spent <laughs> But that's how they survived because they played it really close to the vest. They had Freddy and uh, and uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like you know, bringing the money in. But yeah, I don't know. I was gonna say that. Um, but Hard Target's the one that got all the glory. Now people forget. Now it's heralded as an all-time action classic. But I remember when it came out, people were a little disappointed, and they were wondering if the Van Damme train was coming to a, you know a halt because it didn't open as big as Universal Soldier. And that's kind of the way it was for his movies. You know, each one was incrementally higher at the box office. And um, they were trying to blame The Fugitive for why it didn't open as big. But if you look really 
it's a hardcore action film and it doesn't really appeal to outside of that audience i would think well part of it is and this was a, this was the first time watch i we said when we watched nowhere to run that i felt like i fucked up and i should have seen this one but i thought this one was later i i genuinely looked at it, i think this i replaced this one with double team i think it was whatever the one with uh uh dennis rod right yeah is always where i think this one sits but honestly eh, uh john it's not john who's best it's no. not worst <laughs> i mean shit this definitely isn't mission impossible too <laughs> thank you thank you god you for saying that i do not let that's about my least favorite of his films as well because it's so pretentious and fucking boring for a john woo film but the problem is it's not like he's coming off of uh, things like Hard Boiled and, you know, like these great, amazing action films in China. And he does this, which it's got his style. But I, and I remember uh, hearing about this where apparently they didn't think uh, he would have he could have pulled it off. So the studio actually had Sam Raimi, who was one of the producers on it, basically telling him. If he fucks up, you're taking over this film. And weirdly enough, I from how that film is shot and everything, I could have seen that. Yeah, the the energetic look to it and the colors. It has it has more of a palette of a Sam Raimi film. If you look at Heart, uh, the Dark Man and stuff like that, and some of his other movies, it has that color palette. So you almost wonder if he did some of the, you know. Um, hiring the cinematographer no I, never mind I'm not going to do that I'm not going to shit on John Woo but it does feel more like his look Sam Raimi's look yeah as I said it definitely has John Woo's style in it it definitely it feels like one of like a film that he would have made yeah or didn't it, make obviously but um, <laughs> and if you take the slow-mo out of this movie it's 18 minutes long <laughs> yeah that's that is definitely one thing it's like shit people weren't kidding when they said that <laughs> But, uh, yeah, uh, it, it's very obvious on almost every front that, you know, what's going to happen happens, especially like the moment you see, uh, Arnold Vosloo is like, well, there's your villain right there. Yeah. He's a bad guy. Well, we didn't know who He's... he was though at the time though, to be fair. It just, well, no, just, you look at him just everything about him just screamed I'm a bad guy it's not even like remotely subtle he might oh, as well no. have he might as well have had a giant scar on yeah, his yeah face but that's the thing this is a comic book movie like the way Demolition Man is this is uh, big performances and I wonder if it was to balance out the fact that um, Van Damme really doesn't have he, look he doesn't have that good of a performance in this I mean I like this more than Universal Soldier and some of his other movies but I don't think he has much to do I think the problem is, um, A, this was meant for Kurt Russell. And I think it was supposed to be more dialogue heavy because that's the way Kurt Russell is. But B, um, I think he was trying to pull off like a Clint Eastwood, spaghetti western kind of feel. Like, you know, that tall, silent, you know, guy that knows his stuff but doesn't say it. And um, I think that hurts it a little bit. But uh, there's not a lot of heart in this either because every time they try to do some heartfelt stuff, it doesn't seem to work. And you also have Wilford Brimley. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, this, this, 
uh, uh, whatever, like every he says, like, what the fuck did he say? Don't be an idiot, kill the grass. <laughs> Stuff like it's, that. You just sit there and go, like, you certainly made a choice, and you're kind of sticking with it. Yeah, I wonder if Van Damme was like, fuck, that's an accent. <laughs> I can't understand him. <laughs> the irony. Oh, man. Yeah, and then and then the performance uh, that Lance Henriksen gives is top notch, and I guess in the beginning the edit was like a fifty fifty balance between Van Dam Lance Henriksen, and it pissed Van Dam off, and he's like, "Who are people paying for a Lance Henriksen film? No, cut this shit." And that I, that's a shame. I do wish that there was a director's cut uh, with with more of the character pieces. That yeah, I would I would definitely be interested in seeing that. Yeah. Well, one thing with the Lance Henriksen stuff. Uh, he did catch fire in that uh, scene where his coat's on fire. Uh huh. That wasn't supposed to happen. All of a sudden, his you know shit exploded. His coat's on fire, <laughs> and like a professional, he take you know he bats it off, takes you know takes it off, and just continues on with the scene as if nothing ever happened. Yeah, I've heard. And I've heard that, that but I've also hurt. heard that there's no way that they would ever let that happen. Like. But I don't know. I don't know what the truth is. It's been so long since the movie was made. The only person that's going to tell you the truth is Lance Henriksen, I guess. Yeah, from what I understand, that I think he's he's the one who will stand by it. Okay, yeah, I, I should I should get that Blu-ray that Kino just put out because they have a long interview with him in it. The uh, yeah. the digital version that you watched is three minutes shorter, and I got to tell you, the gore and the blood that's in the direct uh, the uh, Blu-ray cut that I have <laughs> is way more. <laughs> it's it's almost cartoonishly excessive. Squibs, squibs everywhere. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think there's one part where in the in the theatrical cut, the one that you saw, like he kicks the guy and shoots him two times, <laughs> and on the Blu-ray, he kicks him in the face, shoots him, kicks him again, shoots him six more times, and kicks him again. <laughs> Jeez! I know it's so ridiculous. By the time you're done, like thirty squibs in the guy. <laughs> I think it's the first time I ever saw a movie where it's just like shooting like crazy. I'm like, how many bullets does this gun hold? Like that's the first time I really thought about that. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely in a lot of these action films. Uh, no one seems to care about the miracle guns. Yeah, I also think the motorcycle stunt... Look, I know it got nominated for an MTV Movie Award for Best Action Sequence, but I think that motorcycle sequence where he tumbles into the car is fucking stupid. As I said, I don't think it's the strongest John Woo film. If, that, if, that's, if this ends up being the only one someone sees, I would... I'd feel bad for them. Yeah, it's... I like it more than you do, and I think probably because I saw it in the, at the drive-in when I was 16, so it always has a special nostalgic place. But when I want like nonstop crazy-ass action, I, that's my go-to because it is the most streamlined of the bunch. It's not the best, but it cuts out a lot of the fat because Hard Boiled is probably... Mm, yeah, Hard Boiled is probably his best, but there's a little excessive fat on that one. But yeah. uh, I'm a huge fan. I know nobody likes this, and it nearly destroyed his career. But I love Wind Talkers. Which one? Wind Talkers. Oh yeah, that's right. That was that was a John Woo film, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I fucking love it, and and it bombed so bad. And I just I think people were just sick of World War II movies because he was red hot because he would just come off a of Mission Impossible too. So I, yeah. Yeah. Go watch Face Off. Yeah, Face Off is also as cartoonishly stupid, but there's. An extra it's, level of 
bizarre. Of insanity. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's just an insane movie. Yeah, because I'm trying to think. And Broken Arrow is the one that he did after this. And that's pretty good, too. So, but yeah, yeah his, I, like, his, I like Broken Arrow. Yeah, there's some stuff in there. Well, it's always the big performances, and John Woo must love them because it seems like every one of his movies has, except Mission Impossible 2, has a good, juicy performance. God, yeah, but boy. then again, Mission Impossible really is the Tom Cruise franchise more so than anything else. Yeah, but I think once J.J. came in and gave him his team, like a real solidified, fun team, that would repeat from film to film is when I really started liking the movies. Oh, yeah, because that's... I mean, three's, three's really good, but four is, yeah, it's kind of where the, the franchise actually became... Um, yeah. I think a legitimate franchise. Well, I like three because he fails almost the entire film. Yeah. Well, it's also Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Surprisingly, like, one of the creepiest villains I've seen. <laughs> but, yeah, to finish this up, yeah, I think those are the better ones. There was The Pest, which I cannot stand. No fucking way. I um, did see that because we hadn't solidified the list. What did and... you think? Uh, it's Silly Voices, the movie. Yeah. And... John Leguizamo is shit hello yeah I'm good I'm here okay sorry something happened uh, on my phone weird anyway John Leguizamo is a good actor I've seen him be very good and it makes me feel bad when I see very talented people do terrible things like that yeah it felt like he was being forced to be a Jim Carrey but but it was a film that he and his friend wrote Hmm. It's he did it to himself, and part of it is it's very obviously it was a bit a lot of improv, and it kind of came across like no one said no yeah. to any of the gags that they did. So it, I, I remember reading something where he basically said, in hindsight, he would have spent more than like a week on the script. He would really actually wanted to have a good story to go along with the gags that he wants to do alright I am running out of battery power sorry wrap it up uh, do your <laughs> promo, uh, promotions and we gotta go uh, go see Prey Prey's awesome <laughs> alright uh, right. Twitter's Twitter is we're watching Twitter burn down so don't bother going there for a while <laughs> just find us everywhere uh, the podcast host whatever under Hit Rewind and I apologize I didn't charge my computer enough I don't want to lose this file so good night, everybody later on